right, my friends, we'd like to welcome everyone back to a another uh, another episode of V8 Radio. And yes, I forgot to come up with a fantastic adjective this time. Well, lucky I'm here for you, Kev, because I got you. I got you covered. All right. Well, before you cover me on that, I'm, I'm Kevin Oste, joined as always by our esteemed co-host, Mr. Mike Cuball Clark, who thinks this show is going to be. It will be prodigious, Kevin. A <laughs> prodigious episode of prodigious. V8 Radio. That's right. <laughs> Meaning remarkably or impressively great in extent, size, or degree. Wow. Which is this show. Yes. Extent, size, or degree? Absolutely. Wow. I thought it meant like one of us was a prodigy of some sort, <laughs> which I know is not true on this desk. <laughs> <laughs> Prodigious. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, right on. Dig it. Uh, well, here at V8 Radio, we uh, we burn some time chatting about cars, car stuff, events, working on them, spending time with them, doing stuff with them. Uh, and we start the show with a trivia question, which, uh, you know, we initially we thought, yeah, we, we could let people kind of play along at home. Well, that's kind of true because you can listen to us ask each other the trivia question and you can guess at home to yourself. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> <laughs> we don't have a mechanism for you to like to call in and say, hey, I know the answer. Yet. No, exactly. Yet. So this is uh, just a, an exercise to, uh, to hook people into listening for the whole show. It's kind of cruel, but it's what, it's what we do here. <laughs> it's what we do. It's how we roll. <laughs> so uh, do you have one? You got a trivia question lined up? Absolutely. I do have a trivia question lined up. And uh, are you ready for this, my friend? Only if it's trivial. Oh, it is quite trivial. All right. Um, in what year did the Chevrolet bow tie first appear on cars? Wow. That's a, that's a good one. What year did the Chevrolet bow tie? So from what I understand, the story behind the Chevrolet bow tie was that Louis, Louis, Louis Chevrolet, I guess was the guy's name, Frenchman. Correct. Um, uh, was staying in a hotel in France and saw that symbol on the wall of a hotel as wallpaper. Uh, it was the pattern of the wallpaper was that. And he always liked that shape, which became the Chevrolet emblem. And interestingly, it's not really a bow tie. It's kind of an inverse of the bow tie, if you think about it, because bow ties are wide on the end and narrow in the middle. Right. And this is kind of the opposite. And it slants a certain way. When did it first appear on a car is a totally different question. And I've been using this borderline history lesson as a stall tactic. Uh, I, I understand that. <laughs> to try my memory to see if I actually know. I know it's on cars in the 50s. I know it's on some stuff in the 40s. Uh, I'm going to say it's in the decade of the 30s. And, you know, they've been making Chevrolets for a long, long time. But I don't think it appeared on the cars in the earlier ones. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it wrong, but I'm going to say 1927. 1927. Is that your final answer, sir? That is my final answer. Nine, Kevin says 1927. Writing that down. Mm-hmm. All right. Very good. Very good. Not a bad guess. Not a bad guess. Uh, good, hi- good history lesson for everybody. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. C- you know, catching me on out of the blue on that. Mm-hmm. All right. So I have one for you. Uh, this is a two-parter. Oh, uh, well, great. It's a year and model. Year, year make. Okay. Year and make, not year and model. But uh, what year and what make of car was the first to offer a tilt steering wheel? <sighs> Ooh, that's a great question. And that is a carryover from uh, our last episode where we installed the... I was talking about installing a tilt column in my Galaxy, so it made me think, hey, when did all uh, this nonsense start? Yeah, that's that's good. Okay, first tilt column. Oh, boy. I am going to say... Let's see. I have no... I only have any idea of the history of the tilt column either. Oh, I, I could tell you a little of that if you, if you I really bet you could. <laughs> you want to help me stall your own question, buddy? <laughs> All right. So, uh, um, the, actually, the very first uh, concepts, these were not installed in, in tilt, you know, uh, ready for the 
for the general public, but it goes mm-hmm. back to like 1911, I think. A guy had a concept for a multi-position steering oh, wheel. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh. That well, doesn't help great. you at all. No, no, but not a bit. Concepts don't, don't mean anything to me. No. Let's uh, year and make. Let's call it a 1929 Ford. Wow. 1929 Ford. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we have any rationale behind it? No. Well, just that. I, I, no, 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 no rationale. All right. That's just, I'm just pulling that one out of thin air. Right on. Well. All right. The, the thin air has been relieved of its 1929 <laughs> Ford. Til, nice, til yeah. Calm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Noted. We'll, we'll, see noted. Who, uh, we'll see who wins this week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have an idea who won't win this week. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, w- what else has been happening in the world of, uh, of four-wheel fun up in your area? Well, I managed to uh, get a hold of my machinist uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact. Really? So, the, the ongoing saga of the GTO engine rebuild has a new chapter. It does. It does. Uh, I am told that he has what he needs. That's a quote. I have what you need. You have... I just need to find time to put your block together. He has what he needs or he has what you need? Well, he has what he needs is what he said. <laughs> so I'm assuming that means all the parts he needs. Oh, I was going to say, he's got a machine shop, right? So I would hope he has what he right. needs. Right. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, so I asked him, so when are you thinking? Maybe... Before winter? <laughs> and oh, says, boy. He says, oh, yeah, 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 oh, sure, before winter, sure, absolutely. All right, well, uh, winter starts on, what, December 21st? Yeah. Technically. So, <laughs> so. I got a feeling mm. I'll be insulating my garage and firing up some heaters. Wow, okay, well, hopefully he uh, he gets a time. That, that yeah. That would be a little frustrating. Um, and I, I see both sides of the coin here because, again, we we run the V8 Speed and Resto Shop. And there are times when, you know, we are very, very busy. It seems like, mm-hmm. fortunately, we've always been very busy. Um, and, but I'll tell you what, I, I resist uh, telling a customer that we have everything except the time uh, because mm. usually I like to stack things up so that when we finally have everything, it's go time. Oh, that's good to know. I mean, in, in, in our world, the frustration comes in waiting for the parts generally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right now, I don't know if it's a, I'm going to guess it's because the economy seems to be, you know, much stronger and people are, uh, are looking to build stuff, but the back order list is extensive in this industry at this point. Really? Uh, it's it's incredible. Every single thing it seems like we order uh, is on back order. And huh, interesting. Is, yeah, it's aggravating. And um, for us and, and also for customers. And when we, uh, if a customer brings us a car and they say, hey, I want you to do some work on this car. What we try to do is come up with a parts list first before, you know, we'll bring it in, we'll look at it inspect it and then we'll say okay what do you want done and you know one example is uh, a mustang arrived yesterday as a matter of fact and this gentleman wants a power steering and power brake conversion and he's thinking about maybe doing a vintage air ac upgrade and you know a couple little tune-up items and that's about it so we looked at the car we sent it home now we're going to price out parts give him some options and say all right for this dollar value you can get a stock style steering kit you know if you mm-hmm. want uh, and and power brakes if you want to do something like a hydro boost or something that's at this point you know whatever and when he approves a particular plan we order the parts and then we try to bring the car back once those parts have arrived okay and that well, way i'm not that, sitting on it yeah that makes good logistical sense the problem being though right now we could order a lot of the stuff and wait you know seemingly months to get the stuff Oof. Uh, yeah, and uh, uh, there are a couple of big companies um, that we use all the time. We do a lot of stuff with Holly, and Holly, the nice thing is their their B2B back-end business uh, e-commerce website will tell you when the production run date is going to be, how many mm-hmm. units they're going to have, when they're supposed to be in. But uh, we tend to look at it as, you know, when you go buy something and you go to Amazon or something, it says there's four in stock. Amazon doesn't 
suggest that, yeah, there's four in stock or there's four coming in, but there's a hundred other speed shops around the country and there's 10 giant warehouse businesses like, you know, Summit and Jags that are ahead of you. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. So they might say, we got a big load of these coming in, you know, and you go, great. And I got 42 of these parts coming in next Friday. And then next Friday comes and then you go check and it's either zero. And you go, what just happened here? Oh, well, we had to fulfill other orders first because everybody <sighs> else is waiting. So oh, gee whiz. Yeah. And, it, you know, technically it's kind of a good problem again in the industry because people are doing stuff and. Right. It's popular and it's good, but um, this gets back to the original point, though. I, I, so I don't tell a customer, you know, oh, yeah, everything's right there on the shelf. I'll call you when I feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> Have a nice day, eh? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and, and, but, you know, there are times when the, all the stuff is in and we got to finish mm-hmm tidy up something else before we can jump on it, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And and you know how this goes. We talked about this before. You know, once you get into it, it's might as well syndrome. So <laughs> in your case, I would, uh, uh, my question would be, okay, well, if you have absolutely everything, can he visualize putting this together to make sure that there's no other whoopsies? You know, did he open all the boxes and make sure everything's right and all that kind of stuff? Hope so. Yeah, I sure hope so. Oh, boy, um, my my frustration is, it's been June, July, a year and three months since I dropped that block off to him. Whole cars get restored from the frame up in less time. This is true, and this is a short block we're talking about. Not not a lot going on there. Yeah. So th- that's that's where my frustration is. And again, as as a reasonable person, I see both sides of, of his coin, where he is a one-man shop, and he does have way more work than he should have for one guy to, to handle efficiently. And he does have customers that are, are giving him a, a lot more money than I am that demand priority because they are racers. And this is their livelihood, and that and that's all well and good. But still, it's been a year and three months. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah. that's yeah, my point. And, and, and this will piss you off because that's what like thirteen bolts, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, buddy. You're welcome. <laughs> Fourteen, maybe. You know, you know, an oil pump, a couple of cam bolts, some main. Well, yeah, of course, main, you got rod rods. Caps. Okay, yeah. so about twenty-three or twenty-four. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, well, there's a lot of measuring. There's a lot of machining. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But still, yeah. <laughs> well, and I know you like this guy. Um, yeah. And again, I'm not. I'm on both sides because I, mm-hmm. I, I, I wouldn't. I don't want business to leave any shop. That's. Mm-hmm. But have you uh, considered, like, you know, maybe just speaking with him and saying if this job is not going to be, uh, you know, if it's if it's only causing stress at this point because you're mm-hmm. bothering him and he's got other stuff to do, if he's got everything together, you know, would he be amicable if you said, hey, I think I might have found another shop that can screw this together? Not that I don't, you know, I've, I've been here this long because I want you to do this. Right. And I'm not just <laughs> making a threat. I just really right. kind of want this engine done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've uh, I've been trying to figure out a good way to say something like that. And I think what you just said is a nice way to say that without without threatening him or, you know, saying that I, I don't trust him because I, I don't want him to think that. No, um, you obviously trust him because that's why yeah. you've been this patient and you really want him to do it. But sometimes you just, you know, like Rick yeah. Jagger said, can't always get what you want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean... The, he also said I'm, brown sugar, and I don't know, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely not going to paint this thing black, that's for sure. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Doesn't even have red doors. No, 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 no red doors. Um, <laughs> but so then the the other challenge there would be, okay, so what... It, you know, maybe he says, yeah, Mike, you know, I, I'm cool with that. I appreciate it, you know, because mm-hmm. I obviously haven't gotten to it. But then where do you go? Yeah, well... Yeah, that's that's another good one. Um, if he has all the parts, and if they're not in the car, I would almost take everything and just figure out how to do it myself and make a small investment in whatever measuring tools I'd need to mm-hmm. to to be competent to put this together, to feel confident that it's going to be put together correctly. And it would be a fun thing to learn and, and do and see if I could do it. Well, and that is, um, 
in in my experiences of, of building engines, putting an engine together isn't very difficult. It's but, not. But there are some challenges and things that if you do not do this every day, mm-hmm. uh, there are some things that can trip you up. Um, they become bad when you have to get this engine together today. If you, yeah. If you have, you know, if you're trying to make the next round or something, you you know, you need to know how to handle these challenges. But an example is, uh, as you're saying, with the measurement tools, um, if you happen to catch the engine build series we did with the S71 Turbo Oldsmobile engine with Bill Travato at BTR Performance, building that short block, I, re- I recommend you go watch that because uh, yeah. he points out, and his style, Bill Travato is a, just a master, master engine builder, one of the best around, and he's not even around. He's in New York, you know, so he's not like local to me. Right. Uh, but we went to Rochester to go have him build this engine because he's the guy on, uh, on Oldsmobiles or anything. He pointed out that, you know, the, the engine doesn't know what name's on the valve cover, so uh, <laughs> the techniques apply. But one of the coolest ones in that uh, multi-video engine series, Bill Travato goes through uh, putting together this short block well, the, the whole engine, actually, for that Oldsmobile. And, and you know, we often think about uh, putting an engine together as taking the parts and bolting them together and, you know, lubricating them to make sure as you turn it over, it stays free. You don't gouge anything. And using, uh, at the very minimal, using a plastic gauge to measure the clearances and stuff. Um, but what Bill does, and he, he does that in that video series, is he puts the reciprocating assembly together... Um, without the main seals at the ends. So most engines have a, a one-piece or a two-piece seal on the back um, and turns the engine over, turns the reciprocating assembly. Just Well, actually, just the crankshaft, I think. Bolts the crank down and, and spins it to make sure the crank spins freely by itself as step one. And this okay. has all been perfectly machined, but, but it's an indicator. If, if you put the crank together... Uh, and drop it in and, and fully torque all the main caps and spin it, you now know if that crank spins freely. As opposed to what a lot of people do is they put the crank in and then they'll start putting all of the individual rod assemblies. And by the time you get done and you turn this thing over, if something is tight, you don't know where the tightness occurred, right? Good point. So you start with the crank. The next thing he does, he takes the crank back out and he'll put seals in it, just just the rear main and if the engine has a front main that's not like in a timing cover or something, he'll put that rear main seal in and torque it down again and then spin just the crankshaft with just the rear seal. And that'll tell you again how much drag that rear seal is introduced, yeah. right? So just measuring things step by step and, uh, and then builds out the rest of it. And he, he demonstrates how the crank in that one, you could, you could basically spin it with your hand and the crank will spin freely in the block. So the point being is that um, he knows, and he's done this stuff all the time, and, and that video series would certainly help you out. Where these things get challenging is when you put the crank in and tighten the caps down, and it's locked. <sighs> and you're in your home garage, and you don't have the equipment to correct this. And it might be something that the bearings are wrong. It might be that the block is twisted. It might be that the crank is wrong or a cut wrong or, or one of the journals. So that's where your measuring equipment comes in. Um, I recommend, you know, measuring the thickness of all the bearings and making sure that the right parts are in the right box. Uh, we were at uh, Fast Times Motorworks putting together the engine for that 496 Chevelle we did many, many years ago. Uh-huh. And uh, we opened up the box of bearings, and it was the wrong ones in the box. Just uh, oh, wow. somebody asleep at the wheel at the plant one day. And if we would have taken those out and just put them in without checking them all, you know, we would have been stuck. Oh, yeah. So if he does release this thing and you do bring it home, uh, yeah, a good micrometer and a dial indicator and a digital caliper at the very least, and just check uh-huh. everything check the part numbers on the bearings and all that stuff. But then I don't, you know, you get into a situation where you could start putting it together until you encounter something like that. Right. And the, the homework and then, there. And then I call Kevin Osteen and say, hey, buddy, what do I do about this? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you know, before you start, you reach out to some other local machine places and say, all right, what do you guys offer? Because I'm about to start putting this engine together. And if I get stuck, that's not 
when you want to start flipping through the yellow pages, you want to kind of know yeah. ahead of time. Sure. Uh, but I think you should do it. It would be a fun... I haven't... You know what? I haven't put an, an engine together since... Well, since I was in the Air Force when I put together my... put had to put together my Sprint 6 engine uh, after I blew it up. And uh, that didn't go so well. I kept burning, burning cams up just because I didn't know well enough to... Uh, use a good break-in lube and uh, make sure I'm getting oil up there and all that. And uh, it just never, it never ran right after that. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, and, and in that case too, we everybody has so much more knowledge available at your fingertips. Totally. Uh, our biggest hesitation on on starting new engines with flat tap of cams is exactly that situation. You know, these cams go flat, and uh, I think. I think the secret sauce these days is do everything you can to make sure that those push rods are spinning when you start that engine, Mm -hmm. which means start it with the valve cover off. um, And we actually paint a little paint dot on each push rod. I was just going to say, hey, I bet I could put a mark on those push rods. (laughs) Yep, you're absolutely right. And um, have a couple people there. It's always good to have multiple people around when you start one because you got to have somebody with the fire extinguisher. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. You know, somebody checking for leaks, somebody watching the oil pressure gauge. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that if the push rod, so the story is that, you know, but you're going to do a roller anyway, so it doesn't matter right. so much. But now that I brought it up, yeah. the uh, uh, cam lobes are tapered and the lifter is designed to spin on the lobe. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't spin, it's going to wipe that lobe out. So I think the best indicator that's easy to spot is if that push rod is not spinning. Mm-hmm. That, that means that cam is you know the uh, lifter is just gliding on the lobe and it's going to carve it out right so you know what do you do if you start the thing up and it's not spinning sometimes you can actually spin the rod which can if there's enough pressure on it can start that lifter spinning mm-hmm. otherwise uh, some engines you can see down in there and see the lifter itself and maybe get a tool on it others you got to take it apart you know but that's just it so the the pre-prep there is that as you're putting your lifters in make sure that they spin freely in the block because it might be mm-hmm. pinched in the block. So I guess the, the summary of this long ass story is that if you, <laughs> uh, if it's supposed to spin or turn or move, make sure it does all as, of the above as yeah. you're building it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not just put everything together as a static thing and then put power to it and make it spin and hope it all works together. Right. I, yeah. I guess it makes sense along those lines. It makes sense. Uh, I would imagine if you could have your short block together, put your heads on and have your valve train completely intact with your valve springs and your rockers and all that and and turn the engine by hand and watch for those push rods to turn as well. That way it's not doing it 300 times before you catch it not spinning. Yeah, Only maybe one or two times. That's a good question because I don't know if cranking it over by hand is going to be enough to make, it, make them spin. You don't think uh, enough to... Just that that friction of the that motion of the lobe sleep, sweeping over the lifter. I don't know. It's possible. Uh, I think you know. You put like you mentioned before. You put a good assembly lube on it. It tends to slide right away, and then eventually. Oh, it kind of that's grabs. a good point. That's a good point. Uh, but it is. I do recommend, and especially you too, if you put yours together. Now that you're putting a, a roller lifter in it, that requires a different length push rod than original, mm-hmm. and you want to make sure that that geometry is all right. Oh yeah. And that means head gasket, that means uh, rocker pedestals and rocker arms and mm-hmm. any shims and all that stuff. And, and checking the sweep of your rocker arm uh, on the tip of the valve stem to make sure, you know, you mark that and make sure it's going 180 across basically mm-hmm. uh, so that it doesn't clatter like crazy when it's mm-hmm. together. So again, the good thing, having time on your side, you know, you can do all these little checks Right. Um, and, and make progress. And if you have anything, you know, in that video, again, Bill Travato says, if something doesn't feel right, it probably isn't. So don't just keep going. And uh, <laughs> that's, that's a mistake that a lot of people make um, working on this stuff that don't do it every day. Because you go, right. I don't know, is this suppo- how is this supposed to feel? I don't do this every day. I don't right. know. It's, it's a good point. It's a good point. And uh, this bolt is going in a little tight. Maybe I just need to put more wrench on it, you know. <laughs> or I'm nervous about this. I'm stressed. I've never done it before, so I'm not sure. I'm just going to get it together and see what happens. Mm-hmm. As opposed to hitting the brakes and saying, no, 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 no. 
I'm getting one indicator of spidey sense that something's not going right. I'm going to stop and I'm going to ask. And that's, that's what you got to do. That's good advice, my friend. Good advice. I hope it doesn't come to it, but if it does, I, I'm glad I have uh, resources, a lot more resources than I did, you know, 25 years ago when I last time I did this. Well, so, yeah, uh, and and the other thing is the internet is full of right answers. Everything on the internet, <laughs> just just Google it, and it's good. there's the correct answer. <laughs> exactly, everything's right every single time, and there's enough. Uh, enough machine and engine shops in the Chicago. And the other thing too, you're not necessarily building a 3,500 horsepower pro mod engine. Right. But at the same time, it doesn't matter. It's just as critical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, I want, I, I, I went through all this because I want this engine to last and be right and run well and run efficiently and not have to, you know, stop every 50 miles and, and tweak something or clean up a leak or do any of that kind of nonsense. So, this this project, as long as it's taken, is really important to me because you know it's my car, and I want it to be right, and I want it, and I want to be able to drive it again for Pete's sake. Well, the leaks you're on your own because <laughs> <laughs> it is a Pontiac V8, and it was yeah. designed in the '50s essentially, and it's gonna leak. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, there's been technology that's that's come a long way to help mitigate that maybe not eliminate it altogether but you know you got your bop one piece rear main seal that people have said helps out quite a bit and you got your bop one piece oil pan gasket that people love that helps quite a bit with those leaks and that does without a doubt so. uh but we we find ourselves telling that story to to customers all the time where you know we do something we, we put a brand new engine in a car send it home and and you know two weeks later it's got a drip it's got a coolant mm-hmm. drip and a trans drip and it's got an oil drip and it's the the hard part is we use all the good stuff we use the good sealants we prep right. the surfaces properly the design of a flat oil pan rail and a flat block with a piece of <laughs> piece of gum smushed between the two of them <laughs> under pressure under temperature being heat cycled right. uh, it's going to do what it's going to do so true that's another thing uh you know, people come to us about the LS motors or late model engine swaps because those don't leak. Everything's O-ringed and it's new technology. Yeah. There's a difference. But. Yeah. But the rest yeah, of it, you should be able yeah. to get no problem. Just yeah, uh, if, it, if it leaks, don't go crazy. Just know. No, it. I, I, I mean, I'm under no illusions that it, it'll never leak again if, if it gets all together. And that's and that's okay. But uh, as long as it's not, not like my transmission was leaking. It was just slinging oil all over the place, all over the exhaust and smoking like crazy. That kind of stuff I can't have. No, it shouldn't do that. No. Yeah. I did. Uh, I also did. Um, I replaced the front pump gasket on that transmission and uh, did the um, try to seal that up a, n- a new uh, front pump seal and all the little gaskets that go on the bolts around the front pump. I replaced as well. So hopefully that mitigates those those leaks as well. And uh, so that was when, within the past year? Yeah, just uh, probably a month ago oh, I did good, that. Oh, good, good, good. When I was doing the uh, engine bay, when I painted the engine bay up. Okay. I did all that too. There's another thing that kind of sucks because you could put a brand new front pump seal in and the time between installation and getting the engine in and the torque converter in and all that stuff can dry up a seal. Don't say that, Kevin. God dang it. Well, what you want to <laughs> do is... is Go lubricate that seal now. You know, oh, don't keep a little it dry. transmission fluid on there. Yeah, put a little fluid on it and keep it soft. And okay. same with the uh, output shaft seal on the on the drive shaft. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because those like to leak, but that's an easy one to fix. But uh, mm-hmm. that'll that'll help that game. Because we've had that one already too. And how do you tell a customer? It's like, yeah, I brought this thing in, and you changed the engine. You got it. You sent me a bill for putting this front pump seal in, and then <laughs> uh, you know a month later when I go pick up the car. Uh, it's leaking, and then you charge me to do it again. It's like, well, I, I didn't necessarily, you know, I'm not trying to double bill you, and mm-hmm. it's not, and those we just pay for, you know. It, it, it's not something that they get billed for. It shows up on the invoice saying it happened. Oh, I see, you know? I see. Uh, because if it sits, it can't happen. The other thing to consider is that that seal's probably been in a box for a while on the shelf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> New to you doesn't mean it was made yesterday. <laughs> this is brand new. Yeah. Sorry, manufactured in 85. Well, yeah, it's Turbo 400 transmission. It's been, mm-hmm. you know, those parts are uh, kind of in storage generally. Right. So Sure. All right. Well, enough about me. Uh, you just had a big night the other night with the uh, VATV 
uh, driving cruise, eh? Yeah, it was huge, and um, it was uh, a lot of fun and and a cool event. Uh, and I think it's kind of hard to explain this thing. What we do is we have a uh, a car show cruise thing at a local drive-in, and we show a classic car film. And before the film, we do some prize giveaways, and we show a little update about what's happening at our shop and that kind of thing. And it's it's kind of fun because the the venue is called the Belleville Skyview Drive-In, and it's been around since 1949, I think. And uh, they've got two screens, and they can accommodate a whole bunch of cars. And the first year, I think we had about 225 cars, something like that. Hmm. And and last year, we had uh, uh, certainly more interest, but we had a night that looked like it was going to rain, so... Right. The amount of cars was down a little bit. Uh, it was still bigger than the first year, but it wasn't super huge. Um, and this year we had about 400. Dang. So, yes. It went up substantially. Uh, it was a perfect night. You know, words kind of getting out. And yeah. we showed American Graffiti, which is uh, a very, very popular film. Yeah. And uh, that was chosen by the participants online. So, um, so I kind of feel like in many ways we're there just kind of as facilitators, you know, because the movie is what it is. The venue is what it is. Everybody thinks right. it's cool. Um, and what's kind of different about it than from going to a regular drive-in, you know, first of all, those are all going away. So they're hard to find no matter what. Yeah. But second of all, if you go to a drive-in to go see a new movie and you take your family car, you're going to get there. You park the car, you get out, you get your popcorn, you go back in the car and you sit there and watch the film. You don't know the person next to you. And, and right. you're not going to get out and walk around and look at cars and talk to people. And, and I think that's the big draw of this event is how social it is. Right. Because everybody's out with lawn chairs and they're all walking up and down the aisles and talking to everybody and checking out cars. Yeah. And then it's almost like they don't want that part to end because the movie's got to start. You know? <laughs> but then they like the movie too. So it, it's just kind of a, it builds, you know, throughout the yeah. night. And, yeah. and that's something we didn't anticipate. Um, that it would have that kind of momentum as it grows. But the uh, the other funny thing is, like I mentioned, they had two screens. And from day one, I was talking to the proprietor of this place, and I said, you know, so how many cars can you hold? And he's like, well, you know, we can, we can probably fit, uh, you know, over 400 on screen number one. And if we really need to, we can get into screen number two. But you'll never get there. You know, don't worry about that. You know, just <laughs> try and fill the first one. So every year I bring two copies of the DVD because it's actually a Blu-ray player that that displays the the movies oh, really? with the projector, yeah, um, which is kind of neat. Yeah. And uh, every year he's like, "Yeah, why'd you bring two? And it's like, "Well, you got two screens, you know." And oh yeah, you're you know, you're crazy. Well, <laughs> uh, every year before the the actual the night's a Thursday night. We have to do it on a Thursday night because the drive-in needs to have the weekend reserve for for current films. Right. And this is a private event, so we got to do it during the week. And I showed up with my two DVDs on Wednesday night and we did a test and, um, you know, everything worked just fine. And he said, uh, well, you got two, two DVDs again. I said, yeah. And he said, you know, it's funny. He said, I've never actually seen American graffiti all the way through. And huh. I said, well, I mean, I got two copies. You're welcome to have one, you know, when we're done, it, it's, it's cool by me. I don't need them. And he's like, Oh, okay. Thanks. Well, the night of the cars are just pouring in. Rolling uh -huh. in, rolling in, rolling. And, and I look and I see that uh, the second screen area is being filled with cars. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this is this is great, you know? Yeah. So Where's my other copy? <laughs> well, I, and it's getting darker and getting darker. And I said, uh, you know, logistically, how do we launch the first screen and then fire the second one off? And he's like, yeah, I got a little problem. Uh, I took the other DVD home to my house and I didn't bring it back. And I'm like... Are you kidding me? Uh, so luckily he lives close and he was able to zip out and get it and, and bring it back. So I do have to apologize to some of the people that were at the second screen because there was a delay uh, between oh the first one starting and the second one starting. And, and the other thing is that we're doing our prize giveaways on screen number one and there is no technology to simultaneously feed both screens. Uh, so we were streaming the prize giveaways you know, imagine this technology. So I got a phone that is on a Facebook live that is going online. I got a laptop in the projection room that's receiving that. And then it's on a full screen mode and sending that signal to the, 
uh, video projector, which is blasting it up on the big screen. Wow. And then the audio is coming out of the laptop and being broadcast on an FM transmitter to all the cars so that they can listen <laughs> in the cars. So there's like a hundred things that are happening at That's the same time. That's pretty cool. It was pretty cool. And it actually worked. The downside was is the people didn't necessarily know that it was time to turn their radios on in the car and oh. and focus on the big screen. So we're trying to get people a little more up to speed and, you know, now it's time to pay attention because we're going to start pulling winners and drawing sure. numbers and stuff like that. So, but the great thing is the crowd of people is so nice. Everybody is mm-hmm. so cool. Um, if you can imagine a bunch of people that are sitting in their car looking at a blank drive-in screen, whereas the other screen is, you know, 10 minutes into a movie, nobody was honking their horns. Nobody was nice. making noise and yelling and flashing high beams and stuff. Right. They all waited patiently. And, you know, we came over and told them, you know, you'd be up in a second. And then the mm. film came on, they're happy. And, and there you go. So, yeah, boy, I was watching those live streams that you were putting out. That was, that was a great man. I mean, that really, really does a, goes a long way to show people who weren't able to come what this thing is all about and the type of cars that are really showing up here and what a great car show this is becoming as <laughs> yeah. well as as well as a movie event i mean it's a it's a great double bill that you're putting on it it's people are bringing great stuff you're right uh, my gosh that lt4 malibu yeah that was ridiculous wasn't it that was nuts <laughs> Yeah, and uh, that gentleman's named Ty, and, and he had a Cutlass we worked on with an LS a long time ago, and now he shows up with this thing. Uh, I think it's an 81 Malibu, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. with a, a current you know supercharged Corvette LT1 motor in it, the direct injection deal. And uh, LT1, yeah. I'm sorry, LT4, you're right, LT4, LT4 okay. supercharged. The LT1's a non-supercharged, the LT4 Ooh. is a supercharged. And uh, that thing... I didn't get a chance to spend a lot of time with him to find out whose engine management system he's using and, uh-huh. and what kind of tune-up he's got on it and how, how well it actually runs. But it sounds killer, and um, that's a great swap. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going to surprise a lot of people on the street. <laughs> Boy, howdy. <laughs> and, you know, the variety of cars. So you got stuff like that to a, a – I don't know if you saw the the 57 Plymouth that the, the one guy – just restored. The Christine? Yeah. Yes. Amazing car. Beautiful car. It um, is a beautiful car. I like those a lot. And and uh, uh, other late model performance cars and, and dune buggies and, of course, 55s and 32s. And, and the one dude brought out his two-lane blacktop clone 55. I saw that. Yeah. Uh, cool stuff. You know, just great cars. Muscle cars. Uh, good old-fashioned, you know, classic cars. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, you're right. It is a tremendous show. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that is, oh, I got to get my keister out there. I got to get this car running. I yeah, can't show right. Up. I can't show up in the Daily Driver. <laughs> well, we had a few, but not many. Right. Yeah, I, I saw that, but I can't, I can't abide. I can't. Well, it was pretty cool because there were some people who were kind of in the same boat you were and are like, yeah, my car's still in the shop or I didn't, I just mm-hmm. didn't get it together. Can I still come? And we tell them, yeah, you can still come. You know, we obviously you want to have cool cars at the show, but mm-hmm. I don't want to turn people away just because they right. didn't have something that fit in. So a lot of those people kind of parked off to the side or, or whatnot, mm-hmm. but um, the feedback is, is always pretty cool. And I'm running around like a, a chicken with my head cut off throughout that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kelly and the crew are manning our, our trailer and getting people their goodie bags and t-shirts right. and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of a blur uh, sure. and, until like, you know, two days later when all the mm-hmm. pictures start coming in and everything like, wow, that was serious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I saw a couple of those. Uh, I saw an aerial shot somebody took. That was a nice, cool shot of the of all the cars wrapped around the screen. That was really cool. Yeah, and uh, last year we had drone footage, and I don't think we had that this year. So I, I was hoping, uh, if there was, I haven't seen it yet, um, just because there were so many cars there this year. So I guess our message is uh, for next year, I, I guess we're going to do it again. Um, I don't really see any reason why we wouldn't. It's up to the facility if something, you know, happens. Right. But uh, we're going to make a special attempt to make sure the second screen concept goes f- smoothly. Mm-hmm. And and um, I guess technically, because we're doing everything over over the internet, you know, I can have a, a laptop on screen to projecting yeah. the you know the other 
programs as well before the movies play and everything. So that that's the technological side that we got to work out again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, get the word out to some more car clubs and stuff. There was a few car clubs that came out, which is cool, and that's nice for them. Some of them just have their monthly uh, meeting night there. You know, is that just, right? Yeah, they just all kind huh. of come out at that's once. Pretty cool. And, yeah, it is. It's fun. And it's different. It is different. You know what? I mean, what you said earlier, you there are not a lot of drive-ins left in America and the fact that you can that you have one fairly close to you and you have such a great car scene in the Redbud area. I mean, just the few times I've been there in front at your shop, just out of nowhere is a really sweet Roadrunner going by or really, mm-hmm. you know, really slick 70 El Camino rolling by or Chevelle and just just driving around. Yeah. And you and you tap into that and it's a, it's a great spot. I mean, it's perfect. You, you get really you got really lucky that that you have still have an operational drive in, you have a great car scene and you're able to promote this and people, you know, it's kind of it's kind of like a field of dreams thing. <laughs> if yeah. you build it, they will come. <laughs> well, yeah, you're right. And and we're really hoping that, you know, you never want to oversell an event and tell people mm-hmm. that we think this is going to be great and then they go there and they said, you know, that sucks. So <laughs> right. we just try to present what it is, you know, mm-hmm. and, and get everybody involved. Here's uh, your chance to vote on the film. And and then it's always been my philosophy with the photos and everything to try. try we try to actually get pictures of every car there and, mm-hmm. and, and share them, you know, so people get some acknowledgement of coming out. Um, and, right. and, and we had some great sponsors that helped out this year. Um, some new ones uh, that that and sponsoring this thing isn't a, it's not a super expensive thing to do, but it just helps us cover the rental for the the the, the theater for the night. Right. Um, and some of our local uh, uh, shops and other partner shops we work with uh, helped out, and uh, that that whole list is on our website at driveincruise.com. And I, I hate to start singling them out because then if you don't single somebody out, they all right. get mad. So. We, we appreciate everybody who did sponsor it. One I will say was uh, uh, there's a company called uh, uh, Sunnybrook uh, Preservations. They do like um, one houses foreclosed and stuff. They do cleanup and things like that. Okay. Uh, but, but they're car guys, that the guy that owns the company. And, and he gave away a $500 Visa gift card as right an attendance prize. Um, cool. Our, our lo- one of our local uh, Haggerty insurance brokers gave away a, a Yeti cooler for crying out loud. I mean, that's right. that's almost five hundred bucks. No doubt. Um, and then plus, you know, y- y- all these other companies like Year One that gave away a hundred dollar gift certificate, and and uh, uh, Bear Brakes gave out a a remaster master cylinder, and and mm-hmm. AutoZone gave out gift cards, and and Rock Auto, and you know, a lot of car companies and stuff. So it was cool for for giveaways. So. We try to incentivize people to come out because there's a good chance you're going to win something. <laughs> yeah. Did you have anything like a longest distance travel to the drive-in? Prize or um, I don't know. <clears throat> Last year, we had a guy that came up from Texas. And no kidding. He, yeah, and he was actually on his way to Detroit. So he stopped along the way. Great timing. Yeah. Uh, this year, I don't know. I got to go back through the records and see. Uh, uh, because when people register, they register. They pre-register online, and it's pretty much mm-hmm. we get an address because we mail them a ticket. But the people that are on okay. site, I don't gather all that info. Oh, I see. Uh, but we probably should. You know, it'd be fun to know if somebody comes from far away. Yeah, it would be fun to know. Yeah, there'll be this guy from the Chicago area with a GTO. Right. <laughs> God dang it! <laughs> well, you know a guy. <laughs> Not with one that, that runs yet, but it will. Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of GTOs, you're uh, that guy who's 67 you're doing was at the drive-in, right? Mo was his name? Uh, well, that was a different one. Mo is a uh, gentleman who we worked on his 70 GTO. Oh, 70. Which okay. is the, the gold one we we worked on a couple of years ago. Okay. Uh, yeah, Mo, Mo Zerlini is his name. Nice. by Mo Z, heck of a great guy. Mm-hmm. A lot of our customers came out and uh, and hang out, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's nice because they can interact with each other and meet each other and everything. And, and you know, that's always a good thing. But um, the 67 in the shop 
has been media blasted. The chassis has been restored. The Ooh. body mounts are all fixed. The chassis is in, in paint. It's, it's basically done. And we're going to start assembling that. Um, we're just getting uh-huh. ready to tear into the engine, as a matter of fact. Cool. Uh, which it's our knowledge. We, we ran it before we took it apart. I think it's in great shape. It's just, it was rebuilt uh, and it's got about a thousand miles on it. And we're going to uh-huh. clean it and paint it and put it back in. I want to build the whole chassis like a running chassis on the ground yeah. is what I'm, my goal is for that one. Now, is that not how, how you would normally do a, a, a frame off restoration on a car? Um, it depends on what normal means. If it's a restoration where we're truly kind of making it stock, uh-huh. Uh, to a certain degree, yeah. Um, okay. The 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 path you take can kind of vary depending on what they need. What I like to do is um, blow the body off the frame, and I'm over generalizing because mm. <laughs> a lot of stuff. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, we measure everything and make sure we know what how it fit initially, but then take it all apart. Body off the frame. Body goes out, gets media blasted, goes on a jig, and uh, starts getting worked on. Um, and the chassis goes out and it gets media blasted and we fix all the body mount holes. That's kind of where we're at now. So a lot of times if the body needs quarter panels and stuff, and it's not going to be like an over the top show car or something Mm -hmm. custom, a lot of times we will do the floors and get the floor and firewall into its final finish Mm -hmm. and put the body back on its original frame with the new bushings and lock it down and then maybe do topside metal work like quarter panels and stuff. And that way it's, it's in the shape it's going to be regardless. I see. So, but even in that case with a fresh frame, um, to make it a roller. Yeah. We'll put, we'll either restore the suspension parts or put the new ones on. Uh, sometimes body body kind of happens on its own frame happens on its own sometimes they mm-hmm. happen together but what i always like to do is when you paint the car you have to have the front sheet metal on and have all that stuff lined up for body work and paint but i don't like to have the fenders on while we're putting engine in and all that stuff so right so it kind of goes back and forth so you'll have you know maybe the body tub bolted down and you know, then you might set the engine in with no front sheet metal, get it wired, okay. maybe even get it running, then put the sheet metal, you know, and that kind of thing. It really, each each one's different. <laughs> mm-hmm. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, there's no cookie cutter design, hey? No, no. I see. But I see. what what I haven't done is done a full, like running chassis, separately. You know, engine, transmission, yeah. exhaust, and the exhaust, you know, can hang from the frame. It, it does. That's, that's where it mounts, but the fuel tank mounts to the body. So we might make a little fixture uh, yeah. or something to support the tank. I see. Uh, you know, but I, it'd it, be cool. I think it'd be kind of neat to see. So it would be neat to see. That'll, that'll make for some great pictures. Yeah, right, right. So we'll see. But that car's coming along. They, they all are. There's, there's many of them, which is good. What other, uh, what other cool things you got run, uh, running there at the shop? Well, one of the coolest things we've had in the shop in a long time, I think, is right after the drive in, um, there was a car that pulled into the drive-in gate and died and had a, a vapor lock problem, and Trevor got it running, and it, it it actually turned up at my front door at the shop the next morning. Is that right? Uh, and it's a it's a pink 58 Cadillac two-door. Ooh, wow. And it's bone stock. It is just beautiful. Salmon nice. color with a white top and a full stock interior, saber hubcaps, white walls, you know, the whole deal. And uh, it's it's... Very different from, you know, what we normally have in the shop. We, well, we get old cars in there, you know, classic mm-hmm. stock stuff too, you know, fairly often. But uh, this thing is just, it's super cool. And uh, I think all we're doing is some maintenance on it. We're moving the fuel filter so he doesn't vapor lock anymore and, you know, okay. get, making it a little bit more drivable. Uh, but Perfect. we had it parked out in front and that was just stopping traffic left and right, you know, I believe it. <laughs> yeah. Probably, probably looking for Elvis's mother for Pete's sake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, and that's, that's what she would have drove. You know, that, that's a great, great example. Um, mm-hmm. every time I walk by that thing, I got to stop and stare at it. It's just insane. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, other cool news, the reloaded Camaro is, uh, back at the shop. We're measuring it out because it's going to SEMA again. Nice again. Uh, yes, it'll with be the its, its second appearance uh, this time in the Rocket Racing booth because they've got a brand new wheel design, and uh, they want to use this car to show it off, which is cool. That is very so, cool. Reloaded has been 
It's that 68 Camaro we did a few years ago, and it's mm-hmm. been in the Rocket catalog with the Rocket booster wheel that it's wearing now, which I think is the perfect wheel for the car. But their new uh, Rocket Attack wheel, it's called, is a pro touring style wheel. And they said, you know, that car's been with us, with our company for a long time as a, a nice image vehicle. So uh, is it cool if we use it to showcase the new wheels at SEMA? So that'll be fun. It'll be going back. Very nice. Yeah. I'm sure Pete's got to be stoked about that. He is very stoked. And the other fun thing is the car's done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no no last minute thrashing to get it going, right? Right, exactly. So Well, that's going to be that's going to be a change. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, we got kind of lucky last year too cuz when the Cop Camps Camaro went last year, it was done yeah. and they brought it out. So oh, we've been uh, even better. Been lucky. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're going to get spoiled. Right. Yeah, no, no kidding, no kidding. But, uh, yeah, the usual variety of uh, high-performance uh, uh, Camaros. We've got a Mustang that just came in, a 65, that we're doing some upgrades on. Uh, mm-hmm. We're in the home stretch on the 69 Corvette with the LS3 six-speed swap. That's been a, a, a bigger project than anybody expected because being a Corvette, uh, everything is packaged differently oh, and yeah. nothing fits, and there's very little, uh, very little you can buy just to bolt – an LS swap into a Corvette, believe it or not. You can get engine mounts and headers, but this customer wanted side pipes, so we had to make some of those for the LS and All right. uh, modify the uh, the cooling system on the car, and, and we'd put air conditioning in it and did a vintage air setup with a custom console and that, that looks stock and upgraded with some wheelwood brakes and stuff. So that, that thing's going to be an animal, though. It, it wow. runs and drives now, so it's in the home stretch. Sweet. Yeah, that sounds like it's a real engineering exercise to get that all done, eh? It is. It is. And it's cool because the outside looks so stock. We did a set of upsized year one 17-inch Corvette rallies that just look perfect. Nice. And the bummer is, you know, that's such a good-looking car that people are going to see the envelope and go, hey, cool, you know, great-looking car. And they're not going to know what it took. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's that's the... uh, that's got to be the real sad part about all this cool stuff you make and that, that you do in the shop is that it, all of it gets covered up with sheet metal or, or fiberglass in this in this instance. Yeah, and and I, I'm afraid uh, uh, Trevor, our, our mechanic, I, I made him kind of upset the other day because as we were preparing for the drive-in, we wanted to bring a couple cars out and uh, we had the reloaded Camaro and the guys were doing some tweaks on that one and I said, I really want to get the reloaded car to the drive-in and Trevor's like, well, what about the Corvette? And I said, well, a Corvette would be cool, um, but we didn't paint the car. It's on the paint that it came in with, and, and all mm. the magic is under the skin, whereas the reloaded car is a great example of us doing an entire car. Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know, and, and it has such great paintwork on it and fit and finish that, you know, I thought that'd be very representative of what the crew can do. Mm-hmm. And Trevor took that as me saying that the Corvette wasn't as... Uh, as challenging or as worthy or as special, and, and I had to, I had to tell him. I said, no, not at, not at all. But to your point, right. everything's hidden under the skin. If somebody walks by, they go, oh, an LS and a Corvette. It just and it looks like it was so easy, yeah, and so natural. And that's what everybody was saying. They're like, you mean this car didn't come with this? Because it just looks like GM did it. Which yeah, is- and people don't don't get that all the time and effort it took to make that look so right. almost pedestrian inside that engine bay to look like it belongs there. Yes, it looks organic, like it was born with it. And, and how you do that is the finishes you choose, the level of detail in the wiring, mm-hmm. uh, using the proper connectors, routing everything with an engineering standpoint and not just, you know, so it's not a bunch of braided hoses and blue spark plug wires and, you know... Uh, to where to where it looked like it came from, uh, you know, a parts store. I mean, it looks right. like it was factory done, which is a tremendous testament to the crew. You know, be- right. between Trevor and Tyler and John Moss and and uh, uh, Jay, who did the fiberglass work, and and all the guys who have touched this car, that was the whole mission. And it's got Dakota Digital um, HDX gauges in it, so they look correct. You know, it's not an accurate hundred percent reproduction corvette gauge but when you look at it you go oh yeah look like it again like it belongs right it's not what it came it looks right yeah yeah yeah. so unless you have somebody standing there that can point all this stuff out 
you know, that's when that car really shined. Mm-hmm. And uh, so tr- we, we did bring both. We brought Reloaded and we brought the Corvette. And, and mm-hmm. Trevor was there, kind of like the proud papa with the hood <laughs> open, pointing out. And it had a crowd around it, probably bigger than the Camaro. So I had to eat wow. some words. <laughs> <laughs> See, I told you. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, again, a bright red 69 Corvette Roadster is, is kind of hard yeah. to... It's hard to miss. To ignore, yeah. So. Uh-huh. But I love the car. It's 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 super bad. And one thing I was concerned with is that having sp- true split side pipes, I didn't want this thing to end up sounding like a, a Dodge Viper, where it sounds like it's got two five cylinders. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know? right. Um, but this thing sounds like a big block Corvette with an LS. So really? that was yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's all kinds. Uh-huh. The whole television episodes are going to be on that one, and lots of video. Good. We shot that whole thing. So. Well, good. I'm on board for that. Good. All right. Well, I think uh, for those who are still awake, uh, we have our (laughs) trivia question uh, answers. Let's see. Who went first? I guess you you Uh, go first. I went first. Okay. I asked you, Kevin, and all of you listening out there, what year did the Chevrolet Bowtie first appear on cars? Right. Yeah. And Kevin's answer was 1927. Yes. Well, no. Good. <laughs> that is not correct. <laughs> I didn't think it was. Um, you, you weren't too, too far off. Um, there's, there's, my research brought me to two answers on this, and so I would, I would have accepted either. I would have accepted either 1913 or 1914. Ah, wow. And uh, I read something where... Uh, the widow, I, I read about that story about Louis Chevrolet seeing that, that pattern on wallpaper and, and tearing a piece of it off and saying this would be a great emblem for this. I also saw an interview or read an interview with uh, Jimmy Durant's um, uh, widow in 1973, and she said that Jimmy Durant saw that when they were at a vacation spot, they saw that emblem on something and he said that would be a great emblem mm, mm. for a Chevrolet. So we have two conflicting stories on that. Which one is true, the world may never know. So Well there you go. So I lost. 19, but you were close. 13. Yeah, it wasn't terribly far off. No, I mean you didn't say like nineteen seventy or anything yeah, like that. No, no, so. no, yeah, no, 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 yeah. Not yeah. Not you're not far as far off as I probably am. Well, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> So my question to you was, uh, what year and make of car uh, saw the debut of the tilt steering wheel? Mm-hmm. And you said 1929 Ford. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was, uh, maybe you had the uh, the Chevrolet emblem on the brain at that point. Maybe. For time period. Because the correct answer is uh, 1963 Cadillac. Whoa! Yeah, sixty-three caddy. Yeah, and and Oof. I agree with the, with you that you'd you'd think that that had been around far longer, um, but it was not. And you think of the innovation, like the curved dash on the Oldsmobile. Maybe tilt wheel wasn't far behind that. Right, that kind right, of thing. right. Well, so the story there is uh, in the sixties. Sixty-one um, Ford with the Thunderbird came out with the swing away wheel which moved the whole column over. Right, right. So you could get in and out. And uh, Cadillac and, of course, GM, you know, they don't like to be second on anything. So no. instead of doing a whole moving column, they just did a moving wheel uh, for 63. And then right after that, Ford did a uh, – um, the uh, and I forgot what it's called, but it's uh, a steering wheel that swings and tilts. Oh, of course. Um, and that's when the feds got in and they said, look, we can't be having... Uh, they introduced the collapsible steering columns as a mandate. Mm-hmm. So now Ford's like, oh, man. So now we have to have this thing tilt, swing out of the way, and collapse. You and know, collapse. And, and we're getting kind of hairy on our, our steering inputs. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, on that Thunderbird, we had a, a, 60, a 66 in the shop, I think, for a while. And that, that swing away tilt, I think it was also a telescoping wheel. Um, and there's a system of vacuum actuated relays and, uh, releases so that when you open the door, uh, the wheel kind of moves out of the way on its own. Oh, nice. And it stays loose until you 
lock the door or close the door and then it comes back in a position and locks and it won't move. And you want to talk about fixing a system when that one doesn't work. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's like fixing a Skyliner roof, I'm sure. Yeah, right, right, right. Ford, they were ambitious with making their, you know, essentially an analog computer with relays and yeah, limit switches sure. and all that stuff. So pretty cool stuff. So, yeah, we both lost. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. We're both winners, though, baby. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> Just got to keep telling ourselves that. You'll be fine. Right, right. You're good enough, you're smart enough. Gosh darn it, people like me. <laughs> there you go. There's the promo for the next show. <laughs> All right, man. Well, it's been fun, and uh, I appreciate uh, taking the time to catch up. Uh, we appreciate everybody listening. Uh, you can hear this uh, on iTunes, on Google Play, um, on the TuneIn Radio app, or you can uh, tune in right to v8radio.com uh, or our Facebook page. Uh, lots of different ways. So there's no excuses you know, for not uh, not finding it somewhere. And none. I'm not sure what's going to happen next time, but we'll let you know then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, for everybody here at VA Radio, we appreciate you tuning in and uh, keep the shiny side up. <laughs> <laughs>